uh, I'm really excited to bring God's message to you this morning. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 14. If you are one of those fancy people who has an electronic Bible or electronic device with a Bible on it, you can click-clack, tickety-tick your way to Hosea, chapter 14. The book of Hosea is a message of God's unconditional, uh, unrelenting love for backsliders and sinners. If you read Hosea, within its pages we find uh, God as a, as a wounded lover and a broken father and a just king. Uh, actually, indeed, I think the very heart of God can be found in the book of Hosea. If you're not familiar with the book, let me just kind of give you a very brief uh, you know, survey of the book of Hosea, because normally we only hear chapters 1 through 3, but there's more than that, and I actually didn't even know that until a couple years ago. That's why we go to Bible college, to read the Bible. Anyways, in Hosea chapters 1 through 3, we see how Hosea was commanded by God to live out his divine frustration with his people by marrying a woman of unfaithfulness. In chapter 4, we see that Israel was found guilty of unfaithfulness despite God's faithfulness. In chapters 5 through 6, we hear God pronounce judgment upon his people, and we watch as they turn a deaf ear to him. In Hosea chapters 7 through 10, the charges against Israel are restated, and we, give, we get a taste of the coming punishment for Israel. In chapters 11 through 13, we come upon a broken and emotional God, who must discipline his children. And finally, we get to Hosea chapter 14, and we read of God's supreme love and redemptive capabilities. And as I was writing the sermon and thinking about Hosea and thinking about kind of what I wanted to talk about today, the question came to my mind, why does God continue to seek love from sinful people? Why does God continue to seek love from sinful people? Hmm. I hope to talk about that in a little bit more today. But before we dive into the text, I would like to pray and ask God to prepare our hearts and minds for what the scriptures have to say. So please bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in your name and worship you, to sing praises to your name, to have fellowship and communion, and to remember how good you are. God, I pray that right now as we come into this moment of teaching, that you would help us to put aside the burdens and cares from this week, this past week. God, I pray that you would help us to, to just uh, focus on you, focus on what you are trying to tell us, trying to communicate to us through the message of Hosea. We ask this in the name of your risen son. Amen. Five-year-old Madeline climbed up onto her father's knee. Did you have enough to eat, Maddie? He asked her. She smiled and patted her tummy. Oh, I don't think I can eat any more. Did you have some of your grandma's pie? He asked. A whole piece, she said. Joe looked across the table at his mom and winked. Looks like you filled this up. I don't think we'll be able to do anything tonight, but go straight to bed. Madeline put her little hands on either side of his big face. Oh, but Papa... This is Christmas Eve. You said we could dance. Joe pretended he had a poor memory. Well, did I say we could dance? I don't remember saying anything about that. 
Grandma smiled and shook her head, and she began to clear the table. But Papa, Madeline pleaded, we always dance on Christmas Eve, just you and me, remember? Big smile burst from beneath his thick mustache. Of course I remember, Maddie. How could I forget? Then he took, he stood and took her hand in his, and the two of them made their way into the den to spend another night before Christmas as they had spent so many, dancing away the evening. Come on, Papa, she tugged on his hand. Let's dance before everybody gets here. And she was right. Soon the doorbell would ring and the relatives would fill the house and the night would be passed. But for now, it was just Madeline and her Papa. Even after they sinned and left the Garden of Eden, God still loved his creation. God sought to redeem them by making with them a covenant or a promise with the Israelites. We read the beginning of this covenant with Abram in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This covenant extends past Abraham into the generation of Moses. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, the covenant is restated. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When you read Exodus, really when you read the Old Testament in its entirety, God's love for his people can be found on every page. God loves his people, and he pursues them throughout their history. Rebellion flew into Maddie's heart and Joe's world like a bitter winter blizzard. About the time she was nearly old enough to drive, Madeline decided that she was old enough to leave, lead her own life, and that life did not include her father. I should have seen this coming, Joe would say later, but for the life of me, I, I just didn't. Maddie always had a mind of her own, but I never expected this. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle the, the, the pierced nose and, and the weird music. He didn't understand the late nights and the poor grades, and, and most of all, he didn't know when to speak and when to be quiet. Madeline, on the other hand, had it all figured out. She knew when to speak to her father. Never. She knew when to be quiet. Always. All of her words and smiles and thoughts were for the, the scrawny, shady, tattooed kid who lived down the street. But he was no good, and Joe knew it. And there was no way that he was going to allow his daughter to spend Christmas Eve with that kid. You'll be with us tonight, young lady he told her sharply. You will be at your grandmother's house eating your grandmother's pie. You will be with us on Christmas Eve. 
And she was. But though they were at the same table, they might as well have been on different sides of town. Madeline played with her food and said nothing. Grandma tried to talk to Joe, but he was in no mood to chat. Part of him, part of him was just so angry. But part of him was also heartbroken. And the rest of him would have given anything to know how to talk to this girl who once sat upon his knee. Soon the relatives arrived, bringing with them a welcome end to the awkward silence. And as the room filled with noise and people, Joe stayed on one side. Maddie sulked on the other. Put on the music, Joe, reminded one of his brothers. And so he did. Thinking that she would be honored, he turned and walked toward his daughter, hands stretched out. Will you dance with your papa tonight? The way she huffed and turned away, you'd have thought he'd insulted her. In full view of the family, she walked out the front door and marched down the street, leaving her father alone, very much alone. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, rebelled and fought against him. In fact, they rebelled so hard and so passionately that that the Bible tells us that they forgot about God. I mean, can you imagine that? They forgot about God. They forgot about the Exodus, the ten plagues. They forgot about the, the parting of the sea. They forgot about the wandering in the desert. They forgot about all of that. And God is is crushed. He's hurt. Because most of all, they forgot about God's love. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 13, God says, I will punish them for the days that she burned incense to the Baals, the false gods. Israel decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. And in Hosea chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Israel has forgotten his maker. Throughout the early books of the Old Testament, we read about how God used wars and disasters and and other nations and all kinds of things to try to call Israel back to himself. But they wouldn't have anything to do with him. In 2 Kings, we read that just before Israel was exiled, that there was a succession of, of ten kings who, as the Bible says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They brought... Uh, pagan rituals into the camp they they were not upstanding citizens you know for someone to look at and try to model their life after and it was their relationship in part that caused the exile so after all of this happens second kings chapter 17 tells us all of this took place because the israelites had sinned against the lord their god who brought them up out of egypt from under the power of pharaoh king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings had introduced themselves. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right, but we know that God sees all things. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. 
Israel is in a state of rebellion. That scrawny boy from down the street, the one who had all of Maddie's heart and attention, had a cousin. The cousin worked the night shift at a convenience store south of Houston, a world and a long bus ride away from the home Maddie no longer wanted. For a few dollars a month, he would let the two runaways stay at his apartment at night, but they had to be out during the day. And that was perfectly fine with them. After all, they had big plans. He was going to become a mechanic, and Madeline just knew she could get a job at a convenience store. Of course, he knew almost nothing about cars, and she knew even less about getting a job. But you don't think about things like that when you're caught up in the idea of freedom. After a couple of weeks, the cousin changed his mind. It's just not working out, he said. And the day he announced his decision, the boyfriend had a decision to announce as well. Madeline found herself facing the night with no place to sleep or hand to hold. It was the first of many such nights. A woman in the park told her about a homeless shelter near the bridge. For a couple of dollars, she could get a bowl of soup and a cot. Well, a couple of dollars was about all she had. She used her backpack as a pillow and her jacket as a blanket. The room she stayed in was so rowdy that it was hard to sleep, so Madeline turned her face to the wall and, for the first time in, in weeks, thought of the whiskered face of her father as he used to tuck her in and kiss her goodnight. But as her eyes began to water, she refused to cry. She pushed the memory deep inside and made up her mind not to think about home anymore. She had gone too far to go back. The next morning, an older girl in the cot beside her showed her a fistful of dollars that she had made from dancing at a nightclub. She said, this is the last night I'll have to stay in this dump. Now I can go buy my own place to live. The woman took a second look at Madeline's pretty face and slender body. You know, you should try it. I know they're looking for another girl, and they're not too fussy about age, as long as you don't mind being looked at and know how to dance. The other girl reached into her pocket and pulled out a matchbook. Here's the address, just in case you're interested. Madeline's stomach sort of turned over at the thought, and all she could do was mumble, well, I'll think about it. Dance at a nightclub, she thought, while people watched? I think I'd rather starve. Maddie spent the rest of the week on the streets looking for work, but there just weren't any jobs for underage girls with no references. And she was too proud and embarrassed to go up to strangers and ask for money, like uh, a lot of other runaways did. Something will turn up, she thought. It's just got to. At the end of the week, it was time to pay her bill at the shelter. She reached into her pocket and pulled out the matchbook. It was all she had left. I won't be staying here tonight, she said, and she walked out the door. Madeline didn't know where she was going to go or what she was going to do. She just knew where she couldn't go and what she couldn't do. Israel thought that they could make it on their own. 
They had already forgotten what the Lord had saved them from, so why continue following his laws? Why would they continue even calling themselves followers of the Lord God? I mean, those laws weren't really that fun anyways. Now the Assyrians, these guys had it all figured out. They knew how to have religion. They could go to the temple prostitutes anytime they wanted. They could eat whatever they wanted, which for a Jew, that was kind of a big deal, like bacon. They could eat that. You know, they, they were allowed to do things that, that God forbade them to do. And it didn't matter because they forgot about God anyways. They gave in to the sinful cravings that the land had to offer and completely lost themselves. Second Kings chapter 17, verses 7 and, or 10 and 11 says, They, that is Israel, set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. Yeah, that's real good. Let's provoke the Lord to anger. I've got all this freedom, and now I'm just going to tick God off. Great idea, Israel. But in the midst of all of this, this sinning and, and, and just sort of just doing whatever they wanted and trying to fit in with the Assyrians and all of the other, these other nations and cultures, God's people never stopped to think about what they had left behind or even who they had left behind. If Madeline knew anything, she knew how to dance. Her papa had taught her. Maybe it, it won't be so bad dancing at that nightclub, she said. It's not like I'll have to talk to people or anything. I'll just pretend I'm all alone and I'll think about something else. But it was bad. She hated the way that everyone looked at her. But she didn't have any other choice. So Madeline danced as best as she could. And she took the money that bought her a place to stay and food to eat. And she tried not to think about what she was doing. In fact, she got really good at not thinking about it at all. Until the letters came. The cousin brought them. The cousin whose place they had stayed at before when they first came to town. Not one letter or two or three, but a box full. All addressed to Madeline. All from her father. I sure had a lot of trouble tracking you down, the cousin complained. Your old boyfriend must have gone home and squealed on you. These come to my house two or three a week. And I've got better things to do than to deliver your mail. So why don't you just give him your address already? Oh, but she couldn't do that. He might find her. She couldn't bear to open the envelope. She knew what they would say. Papa wanted her home. But if he knew what she was doing, he wouldn't take her back. It seemed less painless, or it seemed less painful not to read them. And so she didn't. Not that week, nor the next when the cousin brought another box, nor the next when the cousin brought another box. Madeline would keep the letters in her dressing room at the club, organized according to postmark. She would run her finger over the top of each, but she couldn't bring herself to open even one. 
she could never go home again, so it was better just not to think about it. So she didn't. Now, here we come to our text. Hosea chapter 14, the first three verses. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive us all of our sins and receive us graciously that we might offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us and we will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. If God were to send Israel a letter, just like Madeline's papa sent her a letter, maybe this is how it would sound. Come back to me. Come back to me. I mean, if you, if you notice uh, in, in this passage, God, God has already forgiven Israel's sins. God has already said, I, I don't care about what you're doing. I just care about you coming back to me. I mean, That's what God does. That's his nature. God is a sin forgiver. He doesn't want animal sacrifices or burnt offerings. He he wants you to come to him with words of repentance, words spoken from the heart. And because God is a jealous father, it is his desire to be the only apple of Israel's eye. Not not Asherah or Ashtaroth or any, any other false gods. Just him. Listen to the, these very personal words that God speaks to his people in, in verses 4 through 8. These are words of, of promise and protection, perseverance. He says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, and he will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots, and his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like that of an olive tree, his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. And men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him, and I will care for him. I am like a great green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. What is, this, what is God saying to his people? If you look at this, what God is, if you look at what God is saying, the immediate result of their repentance comes in the form of God's healing. That word waywardness carries the idea of extreme disobedience or absolute rebellion. You know, Sean preached a sermon a while back, Words with Friends. Did he talk about the word repentance at all? Repent? Okay, that word repent, as you know, means uh, a turning around, an about face towards God. I'm going to repent and turn my life towards God. But this word waywardness means you've turned your back against him. You've done another 180. You, you, you turned your back against God. And what follows here is a list of long-term blessings that God wishes to, to give to his people. What, is, what, is some of these, what do some of these images mean? 
Israel is described as a, a blossoming lily and a cedar of Lebanon, an olive tree, a sweet fragrance, flourishing grain, a blossoming vine, and a famous wine. There's no more reproductive flower than the lily. Uh, one root will often produce up to 50 bulbs. And so what I Israel will blossom like this, this lily. You know, that's part of the covenant. I will make your numbers as countless as the stars, as countless as the, the grains of sand on the seashore. Israel will be amazing. The, the cedars of Lebanon produce roots as long as the tree is tall. Like, that's crazy. That's like something you read in Lord of the Rings or something. And so what, what God is trying to say is Israel will be like one of these magnificent trees. The olive branch produces an abundance of fresh green olives. And Israel's splendor will be like an olive tree. The fragrance of the cedars of Lebanon was a sweet and, was a sweet and satisfying smell. And so too will Israel's name be sweet and satisfying and pleasing to everyone who, who comes to them. The grain, the vine, and the wine all represent the fruitfulness that Israel could achieve when they again return to God. You know, it's funny, when you look at this passage and you look at all these things that Israel could become, it kind of looks like a garden. You know, mankind was, was kicked out of the garden and made to wander in a desert. But after repentance, after they come back to the, to the Lord, they are made fruitful. They are replenished. They are plenty. God wants to do incredible things with his people, but unfortunately, they just won't open his letter. They refused to go home to their papa, because, and because of this, they were scattered and, and very nearly destroyed. And it seems like mankind is without hope. In time, the leaves fell and the air chilled. The mail came and the cousin complained and the stacks of letters grew. Still, Madeline refused to send her father an address, and she refused to read a letter, and she continued to dance. Then a few days before Christmas Eve, another letter arrived, same shape, same color, but this one had no postmark and no stamp. And it was not delivered by the cousin, it was sitting right here on her dressing room table. A couple of days ago, a big man stopped by and asked me to give this to you, explained one of the other dancers. He said you would understand the message. He was, he was here? She asked anxiously. The other girl shrugged. I suppose he had to be. Madeline swallowed hard and, and looked at the envelope. Then she opened it and she took out the card. I know where you are, 
she read, I know what you do. That doesn't change the way I feel. What I've said in each of my letters is true. But I don't know what you've said, Madeline complained. And so she grabbed the first letter on the top of the stack and she ripped it open and read it. And then a second and a third and a fourth. And in a matter of moments, the floor was littered with paper and her face was streaked with tears. Each letter ended with the same sentence. Each sentence asked the same question. Within an hour, she was on a bus. I've got to make it in time, she thought. I just have to make it. And she barely did. The relatives were starting to leave, and Joe was helping Grandma in the kitchen when his brother called from the very suddenly quiet den. Joe? Somebody's here to see you. Joe stepped out of the kitchen and stopped. In one hand, the girl held a backpack. In the other, she held a letter. And Joe could see the question in her eyes. The answer is yes, she said to her father. If the invitation is still good, then the answer is yes. Joe smiled. Oh my, yes. The invitation's still good. And so the two of them danced together again on Christmas Eve. On the floor near the door lay a letter with Maddie's name and her father's request. Will you come home and dance with your papa again? In the end, God had to meet us where we were in our sin. Just as Madeline's father followed her and pursued her all the way to the dance club, so too our Heavenly Father pursues us and meets us in our sin, in our waywardness. And so Jesus came to earth to live amongst his creation. But he didn't just meet us in our sin. No, no, no. He became our sin through his death on the cross. He abolished sin. He cleared the record. He completely got rid of sin. See, you can't turn your back on Christ and expect to find a better sacrifice than this. And Jesus finally secured a seat for us at the heavenly table through his resurrection with the promise that one day we would all be together with him. And so the question, why does God continue to seek love from sinful people is answered by with this. He chose you. He chooses you every day. No matter what we've done, no matter what our past looks like, God chose you. Every day you get up 
and, and, and God is there, and he pursues you through your entire day. He follows you. He cries out to your heart, please follow me. Love me. I'm, I'm your father. C- come back to me. You know, we just got done celebrating Christmas, right? The, the incarnation, that's what Christmas is about. God becoming man. God putting on human flesh. And that little baby lying in the manger is a promise from God to us. The book of Matthew tells us that all all of these things happened according to the prophets. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with you. God is for you. Won't you choose to love him? It's 2014 still. I don't have a watch. I don't know why I'm looking here. But it's not too late. If you think you're too far from God, that's false. Because God is right there with you. And if there is something that you need to do, if you need to, to confess sin, if you need to turn, your, you know, turn back to God, this is the time for you to do it. Don't wait till 2015. That's like a couple days away. Now is good. If if there's a decision that that you need to be made, maybe you've been thinking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and and you've been really just kind of reflecting on, on this great sacrifice and this gift of eternal life that he has for you, and you're ready to be baptized. This is the time for you to, to come forward and do that. If you have questions about Christianity, there's all kinds of religions and philosophies and whatnot out there. If if you have questions about God's stuff and Christianity and who Jesus is, this is the time for you to come have those questions answered. Don't leave today without choosing God because he has chosen you. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much so much for the gift of your son Jesus who came to this earth who lived a sinless life who died who was resurrected and who now follows us and who pursues our hearts every day God I pray that you would help us to choose you God help us not to not to sit in our sin and continue to wallow in our guilt but God help us to reach out like a child waiting to be picked up God won't you please pick us up clean us off Help us to walk with you. Help us to choose to love you, to choose you every day of our lives. God, we do love you, but don't just take our word for it. See it in our actions.